You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> Coming up on this episode of the Kingdom Bringer Podcast. Because you get this like prophetic thing happens and then you get out there, out on the forefront of something, you're like, man, this is not what I signed up for. This is a lot harder than what I thought. You know? Um, I was heavily influenced by film, television, and music in a really dark way. I mean, that's what discipled me. So, you know, when you're a kid, you have these dreams of what you want to be when you grow up. Football player, you know, attorney, whatever it is. I wanted to be in the mafia. He's in this extended place, going through Psalm 22, the praise of God. He gives up his spirit. What happens? The veil is torn and the spirit of God is released from the earth. Kingdom Bringers. What's up? Welcome back. This is the Kingdom Bringer podcast. I'm your host, Darren Eubanks. Another fantastic episode today and another Upper Room Dallas connection. We have Michael Malden today. Michael Malden was a campus pastor at Upper Room Dallas currently lives with his wife, Meredith, and their children in Thomasville, Georgia. Meredith, you might uh, know her from Upper Room Music. Michael and Meredith both had a major role to play in Upper Room Music, getting it to where it's at, really starting that process at Upper Room in Dallas. And uh, they're both amazing. Today, I get to sit down with Michael and we talk about uh, where he's at right now in Thomasville, why the transition from Dallas to Thomasville, Georgia, his heart for the creative, his heart for uh, media, his heart for uh, really his heart for Hollywood and all things that business. And he's just amazing. He, you guys can check him out on social media. His, his Instagram stuff is legit. He puts out some amazing videos on Instagram. We talk about that a little bit too. So this is going to be an awesome episode for you guys. If you guys have a, like a creative bone, if you have that creative bone, that itch for the creative, for media, uh, you're, you're going to get a lot, I think, out of this episode. And this was a fun time. This was a good, Michael Malden is, a, is an awesome dude. And this is going to be enjoyable, but I think you're going to learn a lot as well. So don't forget to check us out on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts. You can link up to us. The best way to do that is kingdombringer.com. You go there, you can find the blogs, you can find the podcast, you can actually subscribe to the different platforms through kingdombringer.com. So I want to encourage you to do that. Sign up for our email list. We'd love to keep in contact with you. Start that dialogue. Start that relationship. You can always send us questions and comments to Darren, D-A-R-I-N, at kingdombringer.com. And I'd love to respond back to whatever you got. So go on to Apple Podcasts specifically and rate and review the podcast. It's super easy. If you guys listen to this thing on your iPhone, you're probably listening to it through Apple Podcasts. Just scroll on up, 
scroll on up and you'll find a spot where you can give us a five-star rating. Give us a quick little review of what you think of either the specific episode you're listening to or the podcast as a whole. Man, I'd be, I'd be touched and moved and it'd be awesome. Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys continuing to check us out. I've said this before, but it's so true. You've got so many other options out there for your time. So many other options out there for podcasts. Podcasting is so huge right now and you can find this kind of content just about anywhere. But for whatever reason, you tune in and check this out. I'm thankful for it. I'm honored and I appreciate the support. Check us out again on kingdombringer.com. Here's my episode with Michael Malden. This one's all about kingdom creative. Be blessed. What are you doing in Thomasville? What what led you to Thomasville, bro? So we, my wife and I have a call to transform culture through the arts. Okay. And I began to look at just at the, just some of the areas of, cu- of cultural influence. And I even met throughout this year, met with a guy. Do you know George Barna, the guy who does all the statistics, you know, Barna yeah. Research Group? Yeah. And I was just wanting to test some of my hypotheses with him who's done the research on some of this stuff. And, and so he, he's identified three tiers of cultural influence. And the top tier is the most influential for the transformation of culture. And seven things he's identified in his top tier. Five out of the top seven are media related. Wow. Uh, one is family. The other is politics, policy politics. Middle tier, there's some business education. Bottom of the bottom tier is the local church least effective in the transformation of culture. I was like, man, we, we got to do some things different. Like if this is a business and we're investing money into something, we need to shift some things. Yeah. I feel like church has become so insular and protective, and fearful of culture and known for what we're for against versus I saw this vision of like these church steeples that were buds of a flower. And I saw them like closed for a long time, but I saw them beginning to open up and bloom as if they were a flower and express the glory of God, what God's put within them through creativity through the miraculous, through just going out, you know, not being so protective. That's awesome. And I met some guys that were uh, called to build a film studio that had done some film, been in the Hollywood system and Paramount, uh, some producers from some of the biggest reality shows on the planet. And we're moving out and doing it in Thomasville, Georgia. Georgia, there's more films being made here than Hollywood right now because of the tax incentives. Right. And it's 30% in Atlanta, 35% in rural Georgia. And so we came out here to do that, and uh, it's been a wild ride. Um, the amount of money that we have to <laughs> to raise is is a lot bigger than what I expected. Yeah. And and our company just finished a film; it's being edited right now. Uh, but in the meantime, my wife and I have also started Song Last Songwriters Labs, which are you know helping the church to begin to write and create their own songs. And I also do quite a bit of preaching. I'm doing some writing right now, so. Uh, really just in a season of seeking God for even what's next for us as, as our company's finished a film. It's taken a little bit of a different direction than we had originally intended from, from my wife and I. Because um, we really have a heart to tell God's stories um, so that his His heart gets conveyed into the world. That's so um, good. Yeah. So. Well, I remember you and I were kind of in a similar transition period with some with the churches we were involved in like almost mm-hmm. at the same time. And so okay. wh- while Lee was kind of walking with you through some of those transitional times, he was also doing that with me. And so we would, he would kind of share some stories with me that we were 
really going through very similar things. And so for, for whatever reason, I have this, this might sound weird, but I've always felt a connection to you mm-hmm. just from that period. Like in the spirit, I just really felt like there was a, I don't know, a, a transitional connection because, yeah. because Lee was in the middle of that for me. And then he would share with me and he wouldn't get detailed with Don't worry. But he was just like, he was what sharing. You, no, I can't, I can't share, bro. <laughs> I can't share. But he would, he would, <laughs> he's shaking me down, Lee. No, but he would, I mean, he, he would share with me just kind of some of the basic things that I was going through and, and really I'm guessing he was kind of, um, sharing the same wisdom with me that he was with you, I guess is the easiest way to put that. So for whatever that means, but he, I, I remember yeah. him saying that you were called, that you felt called again to media or to yeah. acting or to Hollywood or whatever. And so when I heard that you moved to Georgia, I didn't understand that. So I'm glad that you cleared that up. Cause I was <laughs> like, okay, so he's going to Thomasville, Georgia. I don't understand why, if he feels called, why he's going there. But so talk a little bit about like, Cause you came from LA, right? Were you an LA kid or no? I was born in America's Holy land, bro. Okay. Las Vegas. Yes. Another place. Been married there, bro. All right. Yeah. yeah many, many people married, many babies conceived, <laughs> not many born. That's exactly one, right. <laughs> I've met one other person born there and that's Rick Pino and that's about it. Was he really? Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I've lived out in LA three different times. My father's in television business. He ran television stations. My mother has a talent agency. And so I've been involved in and around that world for a long time. Um, sorry, what was the question you asked me? I just Really that, like I didn't, I, I didn't know if you came from LA, if you were like born and raised in that stuff, but that explains a little bit. So what did your dad do? Your dad um, was producer, he, is that right? No, no, he just ran television stations. Oh, gotcha, so yeah, yeah. Mostly for CBS and okay. you know, from that's why we moved all over the country, you know, from Dallas to New Orleans, Houston, Miami, Tampa, back out. And it is out in LA, running CBS Los Angeles out in LA. Yeah. And just finished up. Uh, yeah. I guess he's still, he's still getting paid, but he's retired. Wow. <laughs> now. So what's your, what's your yeah. heart towards that? I mean, you, you decided so to it, take that on, right? Well, I mean, you were yeah, seeking well, after that. You know, it, well, cause as a kid, um, I was heavily influenced by film, television, and music in a really dark way. I mean, that's what discipled me, gave me my worldview. I didn't grow up in a church. Yeah. So, you know, when you're a kid, you have these dreams of what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. Football player, yeah. you know, attorney, whatever it is. I wanted to be in the mafia. Okay. I just about so, said Scarface. That's hilarious. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I've got the whole movie memorized. That's, that's like awesome. The whole movie to memorize. Yeah, I know it all. So Scarface, <laughs> Goodfellas, Godfather, all that stuff influenced yeah. me. The gangster rap music of the 90s you know, and it just made me criminal mindset, misogynistic. And so I went after that thing hard, you know, so the kids in my school at age 13 were stealing cars and that's where I jumped into the game and you don't, you don't regress from there. You kind of build upon whatever you do. Right. And so it just got crazy. And, um, you know, I got to the point where, you know, friends were getting killed, going to prison. I'd been arrested several times, seven times, two aggravated assault with deadly weapon charges and realizing, man, I got to do something different. And and I ended up going to this small uh, Catholic college in Houston called the University of St. Thomas, where I you're forced to take theology and philosophy classes. And I became friends with one of the priests there. And at the, at the time, um, he's helping me 
cheat my way through his classes because I didn't understand it. Yeah. You know, the gospel is veiled to those that are perishing. Yeah. I'm working, I'm working in nightclubs. I'm selling drugs to get through college and I'm getting a minor in theology. So, you know, like the, <laughs> the, the, the irony of how God works, right? But it was yeah. like opened me up to the things of the Bible. And I had wanted to study abroad because I had a, really went to an international school and met a lot of international students, but I couldn't afford to do it. And so I met some guys that modeled and they were like traveling around the world meeting girls. And I was like, man, sign me up for that gig. Good gig. That sounds like a good deal. Yeah, right. So I graduated college and I, my dad had just moved down to Miami to run a station down there. I went to visit, got an agent and they sent me on a, on a go see. And the first job I booked was Abercrombie and Fitch. And my career just started taking off. Wow. And so I did that for two years and I, and I achieved like everything that the world, film, music videos, everything that, that it promotes is this is it when you make it, right? I had a sense of fame, hanging around famous people, was riding around, riding bikes around the world's largest penthouse at the time, just kind of cruising around it, drugs, nightlife, the whole thing. And I was more miserable than I'd ever been in my entire life. And, and I was like, man, I've got, a, I've got a measure of all this stuff. And I see guys around me that have a lot more of it. And I'm this miserable at this level. Wow. What are the heights of misery that I can attain to? That's basically <laughs> where, where, where I came to, you know? Wow. And I was, I just was angry, you know, kind of just frustrated. Like, you know, I've been bitten, I bit off a lie and this is what it's led me to. And I was angry. And so I'm in my high rise in South beach one night and I'm praying to God, like, God, are you real? Kind of one of those prayers. And out of nowhere, it was like a lightning bolt strikes me. Bam. I hit the ground, fall paralyzed to the floor for 30 minutes, what feels like 30 minutes. And I can't move my body. The only thing I can feel is feels like electricity shooting through my body, tears going down my face, uh, not knowing what's happening to me. I run over to my friend's house after it wears off. And I was like, guys, I think I encountered eternity, you know? And they're like, bro, what were you smoking, man? <laughs> what were you on? <laughs> And I was like, man, I'm sober. Yeah. And they're like, man, whatever, bro. You know, and I was like, man, forget y'all. And I just, I left there, went back to my high rise. The next night I start praying in bed again. And it feels like this hand presses on my chest. And I go, wait, it feels like this weight comes on me. I'm laying in my bed. I can't move again. And it was like this, this screen pops before my eyes. And I have this vision into 2000 years ago. And I'm seeing Jesus going to the cross. And he was bloody. He was, his face was like torn up and mangled from how he'd been beaten. It was just so red. I could hardly make out the face. And as he was carrying the cross, he turns and his eyes just light up with white light. And it like pierced everything that was in me. I get chills every time I tell the story now. And I knew in that moment that what he was doing was for me. It was this personal thing. Took it personal. Every, yeah. Everything in my life changed. I went sober, celibate, moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. But I knew in that moment, I was like, man, I got to go back to Hollywood and take ground. Where are those role models, the people who, who are telling God's stories that show how amazing God is? Because right now, all the role models that I see are leading people straight to hell and teaching you how to bring hell to earth. We're the role models that, that teach you how to bring heaven to earth, right? Yeah, right. So I just, ever since the beginning, I've had this thing in my heart, but I moved out there. My father got struck with cancer. I ended up moving to Dallas. And laid all those dreams down, ended up getting, you know, meeting my wife and ended up doing missionary work in the Middle East. And so the Lord just took us on this, me on this 12, 13 year journey away from the arts into full time ministry, mission work, upper room. And through that heavy uh, transitionary season, really woke up the call back in me through a prophetic word of Sean Bowles as well. And, uh, and a lot of other just kind of supernatural encounters to pull me back into this space. You know, I've heard you also talk about. <clears throat> the encounter you had with the Lord where he, uh, it's all about worship. 
the whole worship yeah. thing. Yeah. It sounds like you've, you're a guy that like is able to have that tangible experience with the Lord. Like he has a way of getting a hold of your spirit and waking you up at times for people that don't have that, you know, those, those, those crazy encounters like that. What, yeah. I think so many people want to chase after those encounters, you know? Yeah. And I know uh-huh. that that's, I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of, of your experience, but what would you, what would you say to those people that haven't experienced that? And they think they're missing out on something because they haven't had those kind of tangible, like encounters yeah. like that. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah. I'd say a couple things. One, I, I never chased after the encounter. I was just chasing after God. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and what I've found is that to whom much is given, much is required. And so it's like, it's almost a way, scary, weighty thing to be given those encounters like that, because then what you're responsible with to carry, because he's depositing part of himself to you. That's good. Yeah. And you really have to carry that out. And I think there's a greater just responsibility to it. He really has to trust you, right? With that. Yeah, he does. And it's also kind of, I think also some of it, according to the destiny, the call, but also our character and nature. Like me, I just have a wild bent to me. I like to be you know, on the forefront of things. Yeah. And, and so I've got that pioneering spirit. And so he gives me something that something tangible like that to hold on to as I'm pioneering. Cause there's nothing in front of me leading me in the direction that I'm going. Like there haven't, there's a lot of, a lot of the paths that I'm going on haven't been trodden before or they have, maybe they have, I just not in this era, the things that I want to do. And I have to have something hardcore to hold on to because, because of how hard the plowing is when you're pioneering. That's good. You get this like prophetic thing happens and then you get out there out on the forefront of something, you're like, man, this is not what I signed up for. This is a lot harder than what I yeah, thought. Yeah. And then to be able to hold back onto that, that encounter, go, no, 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 God set me on this path. He spoke this into me. So in the middle of this, going through the valley of the shadow of death or whatever it is, I've got this word to hold on to, hold on to pull me through. So that's one thing. Um, then I think the, there's another dynamic that will go that says that, you know, like, I think there's a there's an extra blessing to those who are obedient to the word that don't haven't had the experience. That's good, man. Yeah. You know, it says blessed are those who who haven't seen and yet believe when he's talking to Thomas. Isn't that That's what good. he says? Yep. That's good. And so I think my wife is a little bit more in that space. She hasn't had the encounters that I've had and she's just obedient to the word, you know, and the blessing that follows her life is incredible. Um but she just doesn't have those. I mean, we, we had this crazy move of God that flew through the upper room, right? People are like all this travailing, all this stuff. Me and my wife, we felt nothing. <laughs> right. you know, and I'm executive yeah. pastor. I'm having, I'm like the designated driver or something, yeah. you know, <laughs> nothing. My wife had nothing. Yeah. And so there's just certain, I, I don't understand why at all, but I just encourage those that haven't had it. I think the the purity and simplicity of just being obedient to the word yeah. is way undervalued, especially in the character. That's good. Faithfulness, faithfulness. Yes. That's good, man. Earlier, I, I asked you for a a small list. You gave me a large list of things, ways that you release the kingdom. So this whole this whole Kingdom Bringer podcast is basically just based on Luke seventeen twenty one that we we carry the kingdom inside of us, and I believe that we yeah. have the the responsibility and the privilege to release that. Everywhere we go, whatever we do, we don't have to yeah. be 
quote unquote full-time ministry or, you know, have a platform, but we're, we're called to release the kingdom. And you, you gave me, you gave me a few things. Some were very vague. So I'm not going to ask you about some of them, but I was very interested in the sacrifice of praise. Yeah. When you, that was one of the responses that you said that was one of the ways that you release the kingdom is through sacrifice of praise. Can you explain that to me a little bit? What'd you mean by that? Sure. Uh, Hebrews, I think it's 13, 13, 15. I forget the exact address it's in Hebrews. It says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that honors his name, right? Yeah. And um, this is one of the, like the deepest things that the Lord has put within me. At least he's speaking to me the most about this, even in this season. And I've been looking at, you know, so one of the, there's like seven Hebrew words for praise, right? And one of the Hebrew words is yada, and which is where we get Judah from, the Jews, the, the line of the tribe of Judah, yada. And it's three Hebrew letters. It's yod, which is the picture of hands being extended out. Wow. It's dalet, which is a door opening. And then hey is the breath of God coming in. And so this posture of us with our hands extended in praise to God opens the door for the spirit of God to come in. But I think it's it's especially uh, important in areas when it becomes a sacrifice. So, for instance, you look at Paul and Silas when they're in prison, right? Yeah. yeah. Those guys, they're preaching the God. We all know the story, right? They're preaching the gospel, casting out demons. They get beaten with rods, drugged through the streets, thrown into the deepest, darkest prison. And in about midnight, it says that they begin to sing hymns and praise God. You know that was a sacrifice because no one in their rightful mind wants to praise God. And they want to complain and go, God, where are you? We've been following you, doing your will, and this is where we end up. I'm hungry. I'm beaten. It's midnight. I want to sleep, whatever it is. But these dudes knew something about the spiritual reality, about the sacrifice of praise. It's good. And to go against it when your flesh is wanting to be comforted, their spirit rose up with this aggressive sacrifice of praise. The prison bars open. You know, they get the captives get set free. They don't even run out at that point. That's right. I think the next phase, we'd all be like chugging the deuce and running out the door. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and so they knew that they were there for, for a bigger purpose. And you can just, there's just, this, this theme is throughout the Old Testament even. It's like you look at um, just even the Israelites in the wilderness. They got stuck because of their complaining, murmuring and complaining. You know, but if they would have sacrificed, praised, like when Jehoshaphat sent the worshipers into battle, right? Yep. The sacrifice of praise. There's no way those guys, the first guys going out into the battlefield with, with the band, yeah. the, the, the band is excited about that idea. Yeah, they had to be obedient to the word of God, and it was a sacrifice, and it released the kingdom. That's good. So the the last one, which to me is the most profound, is is Jesus on the cross. Okay, so what position is he in when he's on the cross? Yeah, Surrender. arms extended. Yeah. right. The arms yeah. extended, and the last thing that he's saying is he's on the cross. Is he's going through Psalm twenty two. He begins with Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Which sounds like he's like crying out. Right. The next, the very next verse is, yet you are holy, the God who dwells in the praises of his people. The last line of Psalm 22, if you read in the Passion Version, is it is finished. Last thing Jesus said, it is finished. I believe, this is my conjecture, that because it says he's saying this with a loud voice in his lowest place, the darkest hour of his life, 
He's in this extended place, releasing this song, going through Psalm 22, the praise of God. He gives up his spirit. What happens? The veil is torn and the spirit of God is released from the earth. Wow. So you get that whole yada dynamic in Jesus' darkest place. And I think that's how Paul and Silas know to do it. And I mean, I don't know. Just to me, that's what God's been just hammering me with. There's no place to be murmuring and complaining. It's like... This is our only opportunity yes. in all of eternity to offer up a sacrifice of praise. You can't do it in eternity. It's so good because that all those examples you gave, there was an there was a reaction to the action, right? So the the action of praise, there was an action from heaven. Yes. Whether it was the bars opening up or whether it was the, yeah. the veil being torn. So God absolutely responds to our praise, man. That's so good. Yes. That is awesome. Yes, especially when you don't want to do it. Yeah, man. (laughs) It's a weapon, man. Yeah, it is. It is. Let's talk about politics a little bit. Are you the the politics guy? Like you were in politics, right, in Texas? Man, yeah, I ran for state senate back in 2010. Um, I've tried to avoid it a lot more (laughs) more recently. Can I share something with you? Yeah. Okay, I think, was it you that gave the message at Upper Room like the day or the Sunday before Trump's election? Yeah. Okay. So I was in a place, and I, I don't want to get political on this, but I just wanted to yeah. share something with you. Um, I was in this funky place of just, I threw my hands up and I wasn't gonna about to vote for the lesser of two evils. And I was, <laughs> I was either going to write in Jesus Christ on the deal or I wasn't going to vote at all. Like that's just, yeah. I yeah. was to that place. I was fed up. And this was at, as of Sunday before election day, I wasn't going to vote. I wasn't planning on voting. And for whatever reason, I, I tuned into Upper Room and I heard your message, bro. And it was, I remember you saying the words, if you're going to vote for one thing, vote for this. And it was about life and it was about, yeah. you know, that, that stance and that platform and it, it woke me up to like, man, I can vote for that. Like yeah. I can vote for, you know, policies. I can vote for things that I agree in. And so what it kind of did to me too was I'm a heaven to earth guy. I'm a bring kingdom, bring kingdom, but I don't think we're ever going to experience it all. All at so, once. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm willing to get what I can get and take what I can take. And if we can make a change in one major policy or two major policies, let's go for it. Right. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Like what was your heart? Because that was a powerful message because I've heard churches explore the political realm many times and it's just gross yeah. and it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. This, this did not have any side behind it. I felt that it had life behind it. Yeah. Like what, what was your heart behind that message? Well, you know, I got, if you want to go there again, I know it was a while back. No, no, no. It is the season, bro. (laughs) I know it is. Man, I got thrust into the political fray back in 2010 and not knowing why God had led me, you know, to jump on the ballot. It was a really God leading kind of a thing. But the day I got onto the ballot, I found out that they were building uh, the second largest abortion clinic in America in the district where I was running. And Lou Engel was doing a call in Houston. This was down in Houston. He was doing a call in Houston on it. And I just dropped to my knees and began to weep because I was like, man, this is why you've led me to run. And it was during that season that uh, I found out that my mother had gone to an abortion clinic to have me aborted. And the doctor goes, looked at my mom and goes, I don't see it in your eyes. I think you need to go think about this. Wow. 
she walked out the door and she goes, I know, I know what I'm supposed to do. She chose to have me. She confessed that to me in the season. She's like, are you mad at me? And I was like, no, I'm, you chose life. That's awesome. And I was like, but the devil's been trying to take me out since day one. So now I'm pissed. Yeah, and, man. And the, but yet there was a voice advocating for my life while I was in the womb. Yes. And so it was like, man, I'm going to be a voice for the voiceless. You know, we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, yes. liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? Yes. So it's like it's written into the ground, ground foundational documents of our land. And, and so I just ended up dedicating my whole campaign to understanding the issue regarding life, talking about life, um, just to educate even my district because this abortion clinic was going up and it was a predominantly African-American district, 75% African-American. The guy that I ran against was an African-American. He knew nothing about the roots of Planned Parenthood, how it targeted the African-American community. He knew nothing about it. Yep. And so I got to sit with him and share that with him. I obviously ended up losing the campaign. It was The district was drawn for this guy. And, and so it really, something cemented in my heart regarding life. But as I would have conversations with people, it's such a divisive thing. I had to talk about it from a personal standpoint when I would talk to people because I would talk to women about it and they would just get so riled up. And I just said, look, I, I, I don't know the pain that you've gone through or the issues. I've, I've had a girlfriend that had an abortion in high school. Um, I've, I've almost been aborted and I would just talk to it from that place and I would just come with a loving dynamic towards them. I would hear women say, well, if more people were like you, I'd be willing to listen to the conversation. And so I was like, okay, so some lights started going off. But at the same time, it's such a it's such a toxic battlefield on any issue to start talking about it. You get all riled up emotional and then you end up firing off things, especially online, and it just doesn't get anywhere. But I just began to get this, this tremendous value of looking at some of the things that the Lord hates, and one of them is the shedding of innocent blood. And and I was like, okay, a presidential campaign is four years, maybe eight years, but a Supreme Court appointment is a lifetime thing. And so I was like, well, if this guy does what he says he does on the right side and appoints a conservative or two or three to the court, this will have a much longer impact than whatever he's going to do in four to eight years. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so I was thinking a long game that way. And yeah, I think that was just, that was more the posture of where I was coming from with that. That being said, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, I don't know if we're ready for it. That's a good point. I was talking to an African-American guy who runs a huge pro-life organization, Princeton grad, this dude was just genius. And he was like, you know, the Christians were always on the forefront of like the abolitionist movement and they're on the forefront of the, the abortion issue. And he goes, they were so for the abolition of slavery and they, when they got it, he goes, I don't think that was the right goal for them. And this is a black man saying this. And I was like, not the right goal. Go, what's the right goal? You go, the right goal is to disciple the African-American community into the abundant lifestyle that Jesus paid for. It's good. And then you go after, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the laws to change the laws versus of slavery, because you, you have all these free men that don't know how to live a liberated lifestyle in Christ. And he goes, it caused a lot, a lot of problems. He goes, he goes, I see the same thing happening with abortion. We changed the law. The church isn't ready for all these unwanted babies. And now what do you do with the unwanted babies? It doesn't true. mean you shouldn't change the law, but we need to be prepared you know, on that. That's level. good. No, that's good. No, I think that, um, is it, 
is it still something worth fighting? Like, is that still, are you, you had mentioned you've kind of backed away from politics a little bit. Like, are you still invested in like the right to vote and going after that and like actually doing what you can to help move, yes. move some of this stuff forward? Yes. Yes. We actually are. Our film company actually got the rights to Norma McCorvey's life story. Oh, so she's wow. Roe from Roe v. Wade. And, you know, she is the poster child for abortion. But most people don't know that she never had an abortion. Right. And she became a Christian and pro, really pro-life towards the end of her life. And so we had the rights to her story. We got a script for it. But that's a, it's just a hard, hard one to get made. Yeah. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of other pro-life films coming out at the same time. So we're just not sure from a timing standpoint. But yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man. De- definitely, a, definitely a heart thing for us. That's good. Let's talk about. I love your social media. Okay, I love uh, thanks, bro. the videos that you put out. I love. I want you to talk real quick about like how you navigate that. Like, what's? I think there's such a fine line. I struggle with this personally. Like growing a podcast or growing a brand, you know, trying to like yeah. promote yourself and trying to get yourself out there, yeah. and then also trying to walk humbly and you want the Lord to be the one to lift you up. But at the same time, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I mean? And so yeah, for sure. how do you navigate social media? Like putting your face out there, putting these exceptional videos out there. What's, um, what's some advice I guess you would have for like young Christians who have a passion for, to create and a passion to, um, for, for media, I guess. Well, I would start, let me, there's a few parts to that question. I want to begin with the first part, the creative aspect of it. Um, in the beginning, first five words of the Bible, right? In the yep. beginning, God created, Yep. you know, and he used his words to transform and create the world around him. So the ability for us Christians to use our voice to transform the world around us, we need to be in this game so heavily, you know, that it's, it's it, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's just, I just think it's extremely important for us. I think the church has been relegated to the suburbs and our quiet little boxes for too long. We need to take all these channels and avenues to tell his stories and just to promote and highlight what he's doing. Um, regarding the, you know, the self-promotion kind of a thing, you know, for me, I'm just trying to make it about the Lord. You know, I love God and I want to tell his stories and highlight how amazing he is. It's good. So for me, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just God promoting, but I'm using myself as the vessel. And, and I think that Christians can get in this weird place of, uh, this false humility dynamic and where they don't say they don't want to be in front of the camera or whatever. And I'm like, okay, are you going to tell that flower? Don't bloom. There you go. Stay closed. Yeah. You're going to glorify God better that way because God, you're going to get all the glory because people are going to look at you and smell your fragrance and how beautiful you are. Wow. You take glory from God. Wow. It's not true. If you're actually doing what God's created you to do, it's going to point to Jesus. Yeah. Like, like you can see like a, a, like a worshiper that's really singing and falling in love with Jesus as they're worshiping and they're using their gift of God on stage. Man, I'm looking at them and I'm going, God, you're amazing. You can, it's it's just like a vessel that points to God, but there's also, you can see the worship leaders that are self-centered and like that want, that have that thing in their heart and says, look at me Yeah. and their insecurities and you can feel it. Yeah. Right. And so it's the thing, I think we all have to navigate and think by stepping out there though, we find out where that is within each of us and then we get to repent 
Yeah. For when, when we're being selfish. That's a lifestyle of repentance, right? Like yeah, it is. being okay with erring every once in a while, being okay with slipping up yes. or doing the wrong thing. That's kind of where I feel like I've, I've had like, I grew up in the church. I'm a lot like your wife. I think I heard you talk one time about her growing up in the church and being the, you know, yeah. that's me. Like I, I didn't have some crazy testimony, you know, but like yeah. I've seen the church just be so afraid of stepping into culture. You know, they're so yeah. afraid to step into, uh, like exactly what you just laid out. Like, don't put yourself in the light. Don't be in the light. You know, don't let the light shine on you. And yeah. it's, it's, it's kept so many amazing creators from seeing their destiny. You know what I mean? Yes. Or, or they end up going into the world to create because there's no place in the church for them. And then the world gobbles them up. That's good. Yeah. And these amazing gifts get used for the enemy. That's good. You know, how do you navigate the, navigate that dynamic with the, you know, putting yourself out there and humility and all that? I struggle with it. I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't feel like I struggle with my heart, but I struggle with like, um, I get criticized sometimes from friends and stuff that think that I'm doing it. And so then I do need to check my heart at the, in those moments. And so I feel like I, I do run yeah. with some good people that care about me and they like are willing to like check me <laughs> every once in a while. Um, I've, I've struggled a lot with a poverty spirit in my, mm -hmm. in my life, this poverty mindset of lack and not having enough. And so I easily turn like trying into like grinding, you know, yeah. yeah. And like this podcast thing, I didn't have a clue about electronics or anything computer illiterate, like stupid. And so I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to freaking do this. And I went after yeah. it and I did it and I'm, I'm proud of what I'm creating. I'm proud of yeah. what I'm building. And so I guess it's an insecurity for me. That's probably why I was asking. I'm probably projecting, yeah. projecting my stuff onto you, but like I do struggle often with man, am I, you know, if this was from the Lord, he would be elevating me and I wouldn't have to be putting myself on social media or self promoting or whatever, but it's a product that I'm proud of, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, there is a balance there that's needed for sure. Like I do, I believe that I'm humble. I want to walk humbly. And I, I agree with you on that false humility thing. I feel like that's actually pride. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> false humility is. is actually pride, you know, yeah. it's, um, but no, no, I, I value what you put out and I, can you talk briefly, super quick on the most important movie in the last 30 years? <laughs> what is that? I said one of the most important. Oh, <laughs> we all know the most important is the Godfather, right? No, just kidding. Yes, yeah, Scarface, come on. <laughs> Train up our kids in the way they should not go. Where did that uh, revelation come from for you? That, that, that was that was inspiring. That was awesome. So I, you know, I I watched I, I watched Groundhog Day. It's the movie Groundhog Day. Yeah. I watched it back in high school when I was at military school. You know, back in the '90s or whatever, whenever it came out. And it was about 10 years or so ago I watched the movie again because it was just – I remember it being a funny movie. You know, Bill Murray's hilarious. He has the same repetitive day over and over and over again. And I started watching it and I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is deep. It's yeah. profound. Yeah. It's hugely metaphoric and it is such a key to living life because we all get stuck in seasons. And so in the movie, he's a, you know, he's a weatherman. If you haven't seen the movie, he's a weatherman. He has to go report on the groundhog, whereas the, the, the groundhog, the, the whole analogy is if the groundhog comes out of its hole, it sees its shadow, it's stuck in winter for six more weeks or whatever. 
So he goes reports on the ground. August sees it shadow, and then you know Bill Murray. He's just like this cantankerous, always pessimistic, sarcastic guy, and he wakes up having the same day over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's funny because it's like he wakes up to the same song every time, and it's this, it's put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. I've got you, babe. It's an old Sonny and Cher yes. song. But I believe it's this whole metaphor of God calling out to him, saying, I've got you. If you'll just put your little hand in mine, there's no hill or mountain. We can't climb. I've got you. Just trust me. But he can't. He sees Bill Murray is, metaphorically, he's the groundhog who always sees his shadow. He sees the negative in everything. He's pessimistic. And so he's stuck in a, quote, winter for all of his life. He can't get free until this moment shifts where he starts to to live life in a creative way, start studying uh, poetry and making music and sculpting and living for other people and starts to see the beauty in everyone around him and becomes grateful and thankful. Then all of a sudden he gets birthed into a new day and spring comes, you know? And I think it's just true for so many of us in life. We can get stuck on just being overly critical. We can have a critical spirit in, in the name of discernment. And we see the worst in everything, and, and the worst ends up happening. And one of, the, one, of the, one of my favorite scriptures is out of Jeremiah. He says, if you'll extract the precious from the vile, you can be my spokesperson. Wow. And, and to me, that's just it's that film in a nutshell towards the end. He starts to see the beauty extracting it from every situation. And uh, He's given to the poor. He's, yes. yeah, it's so good. Poor, yeah, helping old ladies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. What was, okay. I watched that video a couple times. What was the, there was a cutaway to the diner, I believe. Yeah. What was the sign behind her it on the said, wall? It said the spirit. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little thing. And then there was another one that said unselfishness. Yes. Right. So these those little hints and clues in the film that he's putting in there. That's so good. And so this to me is how the Bible's written. It's metaphoric. It's yes. Hidden. Yeah. Those who have an ear to hear, let him hear. And this is what Christianity is missing in our art form. I call it Christian pornography because we yeah. lay it all out there. There's no mystery, nothing to discover because when you find a treasure like this film, Groundhog Day, it's like, oh my gosh, this film isn't just a comedy. It's a, there's a deep meaning in it. Wow. It's, it's treasure. You hold it in value, right? Yes. And if Christians, we get to make, if we started making films and movies and, and books, whatever it is like that, like C.S. Lewis would do or whatever else, then um, I just feel like that there's there's more for the masses for us to reach into culture versus just trying to hit them over the head with a hammer. That's so good. And we'll never watch that movie the same. <laughs> no. There's some other movies like that too. Yeah. The whole, the whole um, oh, what's the, uh, the Born, the, all the Born series. Yeah. There's a bunch of that in there. Is there movies. really? Okay. Or maybe other podcasts. I've I'm, got them, bro. I've got them. I'm going to go gonna watch them. I'm going to do a video on one of those soon. Yeah. Well, keep those up, man. Those are so good. Those are very inspiring. Thank you, bro. Uh, obvi it's to hear. Obviously, you understand the artistic form and you understand creativity, so that's yeah. uh, that's working. Well, teach me what you learned about the promotion side of it. I don't do any promotions other than just put them up. So, well, you're doing better than me, I'm sure. That's just you you, got, you've you got, got a got face. Any... You've got a face that speaks for itself, bro. <laughs> you know that. That's why you make the videos. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Stop. Talk about your wife real quick. What's uh, what is she up to down there? She's uh, just started this thing called Songwriters Lab. And we started these worship nights here down in Georgia called Red Hills Worship Nights. Yeah. We're, call we're calling them Red Hills because we live in the Red Hills region. 
And Martin Luther King said, I have a dream that one day in the Red Hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and slave owners would sit together at the table of brotherhood. Wow. And it's plantation capital of the world. It's a real divided area. And we feel like there's the two greatest places where the church or people come together is around worship or persecution. And so we're like, well, let's start, let's be wise and let's do worship because in heaven, every tribe, tongue, and nation is around the throne worshiping around the table of brotherhood, which is communion. And so we started these worship nights there to unify the community and the denominations together around a place of worship. And she's incorporated a songwriter component to it. So she gets all these uh, worship leaders from different denominations and churches and puts them together, has them write songs together, and then does a showcase or releases the songs in the worship nights. So you have these different denominations, and they do the showcase, they bring all their churches together to come, and then they end up worshiping to each other's songs. Oh, that's awesome. It's the, they, they kind of get back forward in unity through that process. And so now she's doing that from city to city. Uh, she's got one coming up in Houston. Um, I think she's got some down in Florida coming up. We're going to do one in Thomasville again. And so so is she, does she organize with the local churches then? Yeah, she does. Oh, that's so, like, so good, man. In Houston, she's connecting with a couple of local churches, and they're inviting their people in, and then she'll do ones where she'll open them up for people outside the region as well. Um, but right now it's just, you know, kind of going into cities and connecting with the worship leaders. I love that. I love that. That's so good. Can I pray for you, bro? Please do. Is that cool? Yeah, please, bro. Dear God, I thank you so much for Michael Malden. I thank you, Father, for the the creativity that you have absolutely just thrust into his heart, into his life. And I thank you that he's able to find um, avenues, find ways, find places in culture, Father, where he can release what you've given him. He can release to the whole world the creative um, juices that you've that you've pumped through his veins, Father. I just thank you and I bless everything that he touches, Father. I just bless everything that he goes after, Lord. He's going after it with the right heart. He's going after it for you, Father, but he's not afraid to go after it. Yeah. And so I thank you, Father, that all fear in his life, any any fear that he's had to, to go for more, Father, in, in, the, in media, to go for more in, in the creative world, Father, we just, we break that down right now, Father. And I just thank you for what you're doing through his family. I think, I, I just see like his children, Father, being raised up in a creative atmosphere, in a creative culture where he's actually producing kingdom kids that are going to go after more. And so I thank you, Father, for what you've done in and through Michael and Meredith and their family. And we just pray blessing over them in Thomasville, Georgia, Father, everything they're going after for the Red Hills in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. appreciate that, man. It was was nice to meet you, bro. Yeah. Likewise, bro. I love what you're doing, man. Yeah. And, uh, Man, I just want to encourage you to just to keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Keep pressing it out there. Uh, more people need to hear what you're doing. Yeah. We need to get our voices out there. So um, as, as people will check you one way, I'll check you the other way. Keep going. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Bless you, bro. Bless you guys. See ya. All right. Bye.